Welcome to our study of Hebrews chapter 4 here on the Radio Bible Course. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 4 beginning with verse 11. We'll begin our reading there. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one fail by the same sort of disobedience, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Most of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 up to this point has been about the rest which God wanted his people to enter. It first is based on Old Testament teaching, where God wanted to lead his people into the land of Canaan, and that was known as their rest. But there is a deeper meaning to that. That is, a spiritual rest, where they are content with their God They trust in him completely, and they enter that state of rest. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 12, gives a warning, and it's to the Christians of the first century who came from Hebrew backgrounds. He wants them to be cautious, lest there be in any of them an evil and unbelieving heart. They apparently were in danger of falling back into Judaism, whether it be sacrifices, whether relying on the priest, or relying on the legal system. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest remains, let us fear, lest any of you be judged to have failed to reach it. And here he talks again about rest and the need for faith. Now, the author has informed his readers that there is a rest. God established it for his people in addition to that physical rest in the land of Canaan. Now, in verse 3 of chapter 4, he wrote, For we who have believed enter that rest. Obviously, that isn't the land of Canaan, so he's talking about something in addition to that land of Palestine. And I continue, as he has said, quote, As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, quote, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now keep in mind the subject matter here. It's spiritual rest. And here... He tells them that God designed an eternal rest for believers at the time of creation. This rest does not refer to keeping a day as required by the law of Moses. The Sabbath day in Moses' law was an illustration, as we said earlier, or symbolic of the rest which God planned for his people who would believe him. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that the evening and the morning were the first day. And the same is said of the second day, third day, and all the way through the sixth day. But we find no mention of the evening and the morning in connection with day seven. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We find no mention here of the evening and the morning in connection with day seven. The rabbis of old interpreted this to mean that there was no end to God's rest. And that's the point, I believe, of Hebrews chapter four. God has a rest for his people. Verse 10 of this chapter speaks to it directly when it says, For whoever enters God's rest also ceases from his labors as God did from his. You see, when a person believes, all effort and works stop. It, of course, must be like that because true rest comes through grace by faith, and faith is a word frequently used in the New Testament as an opposite to works. If you believe God, then you are not working to get something from God. There is no end to God's rest. It continues forever. There is no evening for believers, only a new day of satisfaction and fulfillment called God's rest. When a Christian goes to bed at night... And on his pillow, he says, good night, Lord. He is resting. He's not worrying about whether he wakes up in the morning because it doesn't matter to him. He has entered the eternal rest. His sins have been forgiven, and God, by his grace, has given him salvation. It's eternal. And even though death comes, or may come, it doesn't interrupt this rest into which we have entered it is as lasting as God's life. It goes on and on. If you have entered that rest, even death won't interfere with it. Your physical life may end, but not your spirit, which belongs to him and is destined for a heavenly rest. In view of this, is it any wonder that the songwriter wrote a song I first heard at Wheaton College years ago? The opening words are, Jesus, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I have found that the people who are resting in Christ alone are very busy for Christ, but not in order to win Christ. They're busy announcing the good news to people, but not doing it so that they will get in on the salvation. The fact is, we rest in the salvation that we already have, just as God is resting. And God is satisfied with the finished work of Jesus Christ, and he wants us to do the same. When you and I rest in faith in what Christ has done for us, then we too are expressing satisfaction with the finished work of Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 4, however, seems to contradict what I have just concluded. It reads, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. And the King James Version makes it even more so. It reads, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, 
lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The translation, instead of labor or strive, is better rendered, let us be zealous or let us give diligence. You see, the writer is not urging these Hebrews to do more good works or to be more religious to ensure their entry into that rest of God. He instead is alerting them to the possibility of unbelief. That's the impact of the word disobedience at the end of verse 11. And the King James Version surprisingly translates it that way, unbelief. We encountered the same word in verse 6. It refers to the disobedience of unbelief, as chapters 3 and 4 confirm. God's problem with Israel was unbelief, and that's man's problem today. The intent of gospel preaching is to bring about the obedience of faith. As it says, two places in the epistle to the Romans. For example, in Romans chapter 1 verse 5 we read, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including yourselves, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. At the end of the epistle, we have a similar expression. In chapter 16, we read, beginning with verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about what? To bring about the obedience of faith. God wants people to believe. And this expression seems to indicate that the obedience of faith means that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are obeying God. Now, we have some support for that, for Jesus himself said to the Jews who asked him, What shall we do that we might do the works of God? And he said, The work of God is this, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Is it not interesting that throughout Jesus' ministry, as you read about it in the Gospels, you don't find him urging people to be more religious? The problem with them is that they don't believe and hold to God's word. So he frequently talked to them about their unbelief or their lack of faith. At the end of the Gospel of John chapter 5, he said, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It is Moses who accuses you on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now let's move on to verse 12, a verse which many people have memorized. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, we need to keep this verse in context if we're going to understand it in its primary meaning. Now, many people quote it to show that the Word of God is alive, and of course it is alive, and they like to quote it to emphasize the power of the Word of God. 
But here in the context, the author's intent seems to be that the Word of God is so alive that it will penetrate and reveal all the unbelief within a person. We won't be able to pretend our way to salvation because the Word of God will reveal the unbelief in our hearts. Now, this verse is a major passage on the authority and judgment power of the Word of God. It will discover what we might be covering up. What other book in the world can do that? The Bible is unique. It alone is a book of power because it alone is the very Word of God. Jesus affirmed that when he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from where? From the mouth of God. Since God breathed it into the prophets and the apostles for our learning, it is vibrant with the life of God. That's why scripture memory helps a person to experience both the power and the life of the Word of God. The Radio Bible Course encourages Christians to memorize Scripture. To help them to succeed in this, we have developed a Bible teaching memory program which consists of printed cards containing the critical passages of the Bible. On the reverse side of the cards are teaching notes to ensure that the passages are understood. We also have a brochure which tells you how to succeed in Scripture memory. Write for your set today. Ask for memory cards. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.